0: Hey, what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You know you got a pretty decent theme song when your guest for the night is who I have, and I look up and he's snapping to the beat, so I can kind of dig that. Tonight, I've got somebody that is really, it's mind-numbing that he's even here. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time talking, probably. Oh. No, probably not, to be honest with you. all I, I can talk in, in just about any circumstance. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> tonight, I have with me none other than former Pink Floyd member, former Toto band member, former Super Tramp band member, former Gorky Park band member, and Gorky I'm... Gorky uh, Park! holy cow how did you remember dude man come on now i did my homework so <laughs> Just
1: like crazy. well i wasn't a member of gorky park but i played with him in russia when we did the moscow music peace fest
0: yeah i was close well, well with no further ado mr scott page is with us tonight and scott oh, hello thank you so it's much nice man. to
1: talk to you i'm here from my car because i'm stuck in a re- we're actually writing a song for a movie right now and we're in a writing session i thought i'd be home but i'm not so you're getting car cam. So we're in the car and I'm very thankful to be here. Thank you very much for having me on your show.
0: It's a, it's a pleasure. It really, really is. You know, when, uh, Mark Victor Hansen said, Hey, I know somebody from Pink Floyd. I can connect you. I was like, no, come on, Mark. And he sure enough,
1: by the way, Mark is the greatest. I mean, he is, first of all, he's such an amazing thought leader and you know when he's done, writing those books and you know, he's a great, him and his wife are just wonderful people. So, you know, I was actually, as soon as he said, listen. Mark called me up. People hit me up for these things all the time. And sure. Mark hit me up and said, you need to go talk to my buddy here. He's doing this show. Would you do it? And I said, well, if he's recommending it, I'm in. That's so, so awesome. I'm very thankful. Thankful to be here.
0: We had a great conversation. He and his wife and I, we got together. We, we just had a heck of a time. So hopefully you and I will as well. So already having a blast, my brother. Good, 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 good. So yeah, like I said, you know, I did my homework. And as musicians go, I mean, you've kind of done a lot. With your career. <laughs> it means I'm old. Well, we're all getting there, man. We're all on our way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. How did you go? Because your, your path, you started off with the trumpet. You progressed through some of the other wind instruments and ended up with the saxophone. And yeah. I, I mean, the thing that gets me the most, and you, you probably have people tell you this, but when I heard that was you on Dogs of War, and then I knew I was going to talk to you, it meant even more, because oh. that sax solo, I've literally cried to it before. I oh. mean, that's how Pete Floyd I is hear. to me, and that's how that, that, that sax solo is. It's amazing. It just moves me every time. And oh, thank you so much. I need to understand something, because you have played in a number of bands, and you played with a number mm-hmm. of bands, been in a number of bands, how do you go now I, I, I don't play an instrument, so this is coming from a place of pure ignorance. How do you go from one style of music to another and do it so soulfully?
1: Ah boy, that's a, you know, that's an interesting question, you know. And again, I'm you know, I think, you know, the way I look at myself as a musician, I'm really more I wouldn't you know, I have friends that are I mean, God, I know saxophone players and they're like monster freaking scales, blah, blah 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 all this stuff. And I took more of a stylist approach. And, you know, Dave Gilmore changed my life because he made me really think about melody differently. I mean, David, to me, is the master of melody. His guitar solos are ones that you're memorable. I mean, you listen to those songs, Comfortably Numb, and all those tunes. And without the guitar solo, it feels like somebody left something out, right? Well, yeah. You know, I, I actually am. I would say I'm not really great at all styles. I'm actually, I really sort of honed in on kind of the rock R and B funk kind of space. I wish I could play jazz. I've actually taken this COVID experience and uh, being home and I started really learning how to play some bebop. And so I'm actually having a blast right now learning a style of music that I was never really very good at. And I'm trying to learn, but you know, I always took the, the approach, a gentleman by the name of Michael Smotherman said to me one time, he says, dude, it, it ain't what you play. It's what you say. And that hit me really hard because I realized that the greatest musicians that I've ever known will kill me with one note. It's not about the gymnastics about that. It's like, you know, B.B. King will kill you with a little simple lick. Dave Gilmore, you never hear him go. Duh, 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 duh. Right. He never does. He always plays a da, 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 something that people can manage. So I took the approach of like saying, I'm going to be more of a stylist and play more of a melodic sense. And actually what's interesting for me is I was an alto saxophone player, right? And I was trying to play jazz and all that kind of stuff. And then I had a friend of mine call me up and he said, dude, you got to hear this. There's a record. It's called first flight. You got to go hear this saxophone player. The guy's name's David Sanborn. Right. So I went out that night to tower records, bought the record, came home, put that on and said, I'm never playing the alto saxophone again. So at that time, because when I heard Sanborn, he was so unique in everything about his sound and the way he played. I just knew that every saxophone player in the world was going to go chase that. And so while everybody else was going, blah, 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 you know, that kind of shit, I, was, I decided to say, okay, wait a minute. Let's think about this. Name the, name the jazz saxophone players. So i go, Fathead Newman, Lockjaw Davis, Ben Webster, Ike Quebec, uh you know Charlie Parker Cannonball blah blah and then i said let's name the rock and roll saxophone players and i went okay junior walker king curtis bobby keys from the stoes uh, clarence clemens and then it stops right right said, uh, uh i'm going to move into that mark so what i ended up doing was saying well everybody else was going blah ba, i would go bah, 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 and i decided to play rock and roll and focused my whole career there because I figured there, there was really, the competition was very small. Right, right. So I'm, I'm, a, biz, I'm a business guy. Everything I do, I think about being a startup. I've started up four companies. I'm in my fourth company right now. I love startup. I love business. So I'm always kind of, always looked at trying to understand kind of the market where things are at. So I changed my whole story in that. So going back to your question, playing all the styles, I really only really learned to play kind of one style. It was more on the rock and R&B because that's kind of what it needed. And really what helped me the most is I also play guitar mm-hmm. and stuff. So I, I, I followed in my father's footsteps, who was a multi-instrumentalist studio musician. He played 14 different instruments. I and mean, he said, listen, if you can play a variety of things, it makes you a little more valuable in the marketplace. So a lot of these bands would say, yeah, I, I need somebody to play some guitar, and maybe a little keyboard and stuff. But I'd love to have a saxophone player, too, but we can't have both. So I kind of filled that niche of of being that kind of utility guy that could kind of play varieties of different things.
0: Gotcha. And, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting because I went back after knowing that I was going to speak to you, and I was really analyzing Momentary Lapse of Reason because that's where you came into the Pink Floyd. Uh, right. We, you, you joined Floyd on, on that album and that tour. Tours, yeah. But I didn't hear... At least I didn't pick up on a lot of sax outside of anything but do- obviously Dogs of War. Were you playing rhythm guitar on some of the other songs or how did you feel? Oh, yeah,
1: I played on Floyd. I played rhythm guitar and saxophone. You know, I played, uh, you know, I did obviously did all the, 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 uh, all the Dark Side of the Moon stuff, the original stuff Dick Perry played originally. Uh, what I loved about it was Gilmore was so wonderful in not saying, hey, can, can you play like Dick? Do what he did. And he never once, it's so funny. I always thought when I came to the gig, all Gilmore just said, point to me and said, play, just play whatever I want. So, of course, I would go back and I would say, well, wait a minute, you know, those Dick Perry solos on those things were, were important. So I would always nod a little bit to it, take a little, start it out his way, and then I'd play my own thing. And I always thought it was funny that, you know, it was the easiest job I've ever had in my life was playing on Floyd because it was just, Play a solo when it's turn time to play, and then I played rhythm guitar on on parts and things. And you know I loved playing rhythm guitar because that would allow me to walk around. And I used to my one of my favorite things is I used to walk over and stand in front of Dave's amp when he did comfortably numb. So I imagine my back, I could feel the sound pressure levels coming off oh, of the back, wow. blazing my ears, and him playing that solo, and it was like heaven, like you know. You know, standing next to Gilmore. I mean, really. I mean that guy is you know, he's my musical my musical mentor. I mean, he taught me a lot, a lot about music and more about it's not what you play, it's what you say, right? It's right playing because he'll kill you, he'll knock your socks off when he doesn't play anything with the spaces that he leaves in his melodies. Again, I feel so blessed to have been able to play with him and you know, all the bands, you know, Supertramp was another incredible opportunity for me playing with them. You know, John Heliwell is one of my, he's my, he's my life guru. That guy is the, he loves quality more than anybody I've ever seen. I used to laugh. We, we we did a tour. We called it the dining tour when we went to Europe, represent an album we did was basically marketing an album. We were doing TV shows and we called it the dining tour because the, the super tramp guys, they were really into gourmet and cooking and stuff. So every night the record company would have it set up with whoever the whatever country or town we were in or wherever the best chef and the best stuff. And we'd go in there and we'd have these incredible meals every night with these chefs that would come in and, you know, thousand dollar bottles of wine. It was like, you know, pretty decadent stuff. And John Helliwell, he's one of those guys that he is, he becomes so present when he does something. It was like, I, I learned so much. He would take a bite of food and you would see his eyes go completely blank. He would be, Nothing else would happen. Is he would be tasting that food at the deepest level. He was so into that. I mean, I I kept watching him all the time. I would watch. He used to collect. What do they call those little knives? The um, uh, oh, you know, the famous little red knife. What is it? Uh, well, the Swiss Army knife. Oh, okay, right? yes, yes, and yes. He was a collector of those, and he'd collect them all over the world because there's all these different ones. And I saw him one day. He bought one, and I looked over at him in the dressing room. He was over in the dressing room. He was like just playing with that swiss army knife for like 15 minutes looking at every little piece so he was the guy that made me realize wait a minute it's all about presence it's about experiencing that moment and john really changed my life in that sense that you know i always talk about this the only thing that's real is you and me talking right now right everything everybody out there realize this everything else is an illusion two minutes ago I can't touch it. I can't change it. Two minutes from now, I have no idea. And so the reality of the thing is the only thing that's real is what we're doing at this very moment. And once you start to grasp that at the deepest level, you just realize that the future doesn't matter. The past is goofy. Why? It makes no sense. All I got to do is make sure what I'm doing right at this moment is at the highest level. And John Heliwell was the one that really taught me that lesson. And it's one of those lessons that really changed my life dramatically.
0: Wow, that's pretty amazing because, you know, I I say similar things, but I'm I'm definitely going to build on it now that I'm talking to you in, in, in the podcasting space. Because, you know, podcasting is, it's open to everybody. It's open source is what it is. And, you know, it's real easy to get in, but it's very, very difficult to do it well. And I think a lot of it is because people do not savor the flavor of the moment. Or Absolutely. they look past it. They go, "Oh, I can't wait to release this because I've got so and so coming." And they don't even enjoy what they don't even enjoy the moment. Or, or well, that's again, that's, that's the, the problem, yeah. right,
1: man? Because what's happening is we're identified with thought. I try to tell people this as, a, as a, something to think about. Learning throughout your day, as often as you possibly can, ask this question: Stop yourself and say, "Where am I?" And what am I feeling right now? So, and put all your attention I'm, right now. I'm in this garage at this. Place and the thing, I'm sitting in my car. Okay, this is what's real. And then I ask myself, i feeling, if I'm feeling any anxiety, tension, or fear, unless a lion is chasing me, it's because I'm identified with a thought, not even anything that's real, because the only thing's real is I'm sitting in this car and I'm totally fine. And I actually have an IPA with me that I took <laughs> from the studio when I walked out. So in reality, everything is okay. So all this suffering that we go through is because we get so ingrained in believing that the the movie in our head is real, that we suffer. We could be sitting, I could be sitting here going, Oh my God, the world's falling. I can't pay my bill. And the reality is I'm sitting in the car with my IPA. Okay. You know, and the other thing people don't realize, and this one gets me is you realize there's only one moment. It's always the same moment. You never can leave the moment. It's the same moment. I can walk across the room. I can go there. The moment hasn't changed. It's the same. There's only one moment in time. And truthfully, time is a complete illusion. It's something we create in our heads. So the more we start to realize as humans that, wait, don't identify with that thought. That ego is insane. It's like we have to, you know, once you start to look at your thinking, when you stop and ask that question, you're kind of waking up because you're like, wait a minute, you're identifying that the thought is in your head. Then you have that second realization is, is, well, who's watching? Is there two of me? Right. And that's when it gets wild because then you start going, (laughs) holy cow, am I the thinker or am I the watcher? And that's where the journey starts. So, you know, I believe that all the problems we have on the planet today are really just are a tie to the fact that the mind is incapable of knowing truth from falsehood. It knows no right or wrong. The mind can't make that decision easy to prove if the mind was able to know something, whether it was true or false, there'd be no war, right? Because nobody that would be in there in anybody awake at any level knows that taking a gun and blowing somebody up or putting a bomb in my five-year-old son's kid, blowing him up in the name of something is, is insane, right? Because it's identified with some belief system that the mind. So the sol- the way to solve the problem is I call this the human condition is really, we have to wake up and realize that we're just being kind of freaked out by all this stuff that's being hit up in the media and making us all crazy. So as society hopefully starts to wake up, we will start to see a, a better universe. <laughs> Real quick. The good news is the universe doesn't need saving. The planet is fine. It will go on for another four or 5 billion years, whether we're here or not. So consciousness will unfold. As it's supposed to, because everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. No Otherwise, doubt. it wouldn't happen. There you
0: go. <laughs> well, I, I, man, I didn't expect us to get that deep today, f- for sure. And I, I agree that the planet's going to go on for another four or five billion years, but I'm just asking for, like, I don't know, 30 or 40. You know, if I can, yeah, just, there you, go. you know, just a few, just kind of hang out, you know, savor the flavor a little bit. You know, it's there funny because I was definitely ego driven, and my audience knows oh, this honey. prior to it. And, and don't, <laughs>
1: I had a sip of my beer. That's all right.
0: No, not a problem at all. For me personally, what ended up happening was I I became an alcoholic. And Uh, I was ego-driven to the point that when I couldn't pursue the ego anymore, I had to find something to fill that void, and I filled it with alcohol. And then I got sober, and life, it's only been about six and a half years now. But, hey, man, it is what it is. Whatever it takes to wake us up, if we're still here, after that moment takes place, if you don't learn from it, man, I don't know. I, I can't grasp not learning from it. Me personally.
1: Yeah. Well, remember inside all suffering is the seed of grace. That's where you find, you always hear about people that hit rock bottom and then they turn their life around. Well, it gets to that point where you just say, stop the suffering and I need to wake up. That's why you, know, for me, I, you know, I took a really heavy inward journey. I guess we call it a spiritual journey. And again, no religion, no everything. I mean, all, I've I've read them all and everything from, you know, the Quran to the Bible, to all the Buddhist stuff, you know, and all the, listen to all the great avatars from Zona Rosa to Jesus, to book, I mean, all of those guys. And they all point to that same thing, right? Right. That same essence of really happens. That sense of presence that happens when you go to no mind, no thinking. It's a place where you actually don't let this ego and stuff drive you crazy. And that what they call enlightenment, right? So that whole thing for me is there's nothing more important in your life to do that because you're gonna blink, you're gonna be 50 years old, you're gonna blink, you're gonna be on your deathbed. Exactly, and it's gonna be that fast. And so the key to life is to die before you die, and that means you surrender to what is, and that's the whole game because once it is, it happens, it's done. Any suffering after that is completely made in your head and is insane, insanity. It's, it makes you're insane, right? There's just It's insane. I I have a guy who got a brand new car. His car got hit. And for three weeks, he's like, he's suffering. I'm saying, dude, your car was hit. You took it in. It's getting fixed. Let it go. Because why suffer over something that's already happened? So life is about one thing, surrendering to what is. Taking whatever happens in the moment, no matter what it is, no matter, and accepting it as if it was the way you wanted it to happen, right? That's that's the trick of life. That's what it's all about.
0: I, I, I agree a hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's why I have you here. So you can say it. So <laughs>
1: well, well, it helps with your music too. Cause for me, it's the greatest thing I play music because I've learned now to how to, I realize when I play the best is when I have, I'm not thinking anymore. I'm basically playing from a different space and sure. you see it. I mean, why do these little kids that are, you know, 10 years old, like virtuosos and stuff, it's not because they've been trained in their mind or there's something else that happens. And so for me, music is really the point I get closer to God, the source, consciousness, whatever anybody wants to call it. Unfortunately, when you call it something, you missed it because you can't call it something because it isn't any of those things because they create images and thoughts. But for me, it's like I get to play now and my whole idea is I get get in there and I get to the point now where I can stop thinking and I can just play and I feel like I'm closer to God in the sense I'm merging with the source. So no, there I you know, go. No, go
0: I, I I think that's phenomenal and, and I've experienced that in martial arts myself. You know, pri- you know, I mentioned that I was ego driven before and it was ego and martial arts, I was kind of doing it wrong. You know, I mean I was in it to I competed and I like to fight and sometimes I let the ego get ahead of me and I got myself in a little bit of trouble. But we managed to pull it out. But the <laughs> thing that I, I remember not remember, I definitely remember more than anything is I also went through a phase where I was breaking. You ever see karate guys break stuff? uh, yeah, concrete yeah. and all that. Well, back then I weighed a $1. buck 55, 155 pounds soaking wet. And, uh, the most I ever did in one strike was, uh, two and a quarter feet of concrete. Uh-huh. Now there were spacers, right? But what I would right. do is, is, is I would, I experienced that same thing. Somehow right. I got into that zone, if you will, and was able to make that happen. Once my life started getting a little jacked up and my ego was getting ahead of me, I got to where I couldn't break anymore. I couldn't even break four bricks, much less 12. And I, wow. have, I have never, ever experienced that Zen, that zone, that whatever you want yeah. to call it. I've never experienced it again. Now, I get close with podcasting, but not, not quite. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, once you taste it, you become a fanatic. For me, I tasted it. Cause I got into, I had a, a real down period of my life at a point where I was just suffering and going crazy with myself. And finally I decided to do something about it and I started getting into it and started reading and really started getting into a variety of things. And I, the book that really got me really started was a book called the power of now, which was Eckhart Tolle. It's a very famous book out there. And I started that book, talked to me. And I remember reading that book 60 times. Wow. Row, and I would listen to it in my car, have, wreck I read it for two years. I made my car my, my shrine and I would pray for traffic. I'd get in my car, I'd go, please be traffic today. So I could be in here for hours listening to that stuff. And what was fascinating was, is I was feeling pretty good, right? Cause when you get that stuff, you get, your, you got the positive thing, you're going and I'm thinking, I'm really understanding reading the book. Yeah, I understand. I understand. And then one day I woke up. I remember it was, uh, uh, April 11th at 10, 12 in the morning. I woke up and I got up and I rubbed my eyes and I I went, holy crap, 50 something years went by. I blinked and then I went, ah, that's what they mean by time being an illusion because they always talk about that fact because it was there. But here was the profound thing was, as I realized at that moment, the voice that was in my head, the same thing that was talking to me there when I was five years, nothing changed. That part of me was the same. And that was the moment I realized you don't die. Right now, the profound thing was, is I went back and I read the Eckhart book again, and it was 180 degrees from what I thought it was from that moment. It complete oh, the words all changed, everything melted, and I went, holy crap, my ego made me believe that I knew and I understood and I was all wrong. I missed it. I completely missed it. So one of the pointers they talk about, they say, as soon as you understand it, you missed it. And they're like, well, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, you, you look. Mean, you look back. I
1: mean, yeah. What does it mean? Because remember, point words are just pointers. They can only point to something. There is no word you can't describe it because as soon as you label it, you missed it. Like so, I'm wondering all these things, and it was right after that moment that that happened to me that I went ah, oh, and then everything shifted from that point on. It was just like it was crazy. But see, it's, I don't think you
0: can. I don't. I don't think you can. I don't. I don't think you can get it unless you've lived, unless you've you've been there, unless you've experienced it unless you've made the mistakes unless you've suffered wallowed in that suffering and i did that a lot with pink floyd pink floyd makes suffering pretty easy some of them songs some of the some of the older albums
1: there's a dark side to that stuff
0: i'll tell you my my wife she now she's she's fine with it but my wife outlawed pink floyd because every time i was listening to pink floyd i was what we call kicking rocks you know i was depressed and i was suffering so she said no more no more pink floyd you can't listen to pink floyd because that means you're depressed and, <laughs> but I, of course, we had to come to an agreement that that's just not the case but yeah, because right. you know, but it was an influence my whole life, but right. again, it until you lived it and experience and overcome and have a rebirth of sorts, however that comes to you 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 right. can't even know that you got it that's correct to to back things up just a little bit, and i I gotta ask now, you may or may not know the reference, but Who had the better hair? Was it you or was
1: it the sax player from the Lost Boys? Oh, dude, Uh, here's the deal. I was the original mullet guy, right? I had one of the original mullets. I actually, who inspired me on that was what I was actually, I did a tour with Diana Ross. Okay. And I realized, uh, talk about one of my mentors. She basically, dude, that girl changed my life big time as far as thinking and stuff. I mean, she was the one that taught me the power of patterns and, things like things that I'll never forget. But I was on the tour and I was watching her and I noticed how her hair was lighting up and I had my short hair and I said, dude, I got to figure out how to get people's attention and all that kind of stuff. So I, um, I ended up, uh, growing my hair, but I hated long hair. So I decided I needed to have long, short looks. So I (laughs) built the mullet and I actually just saw a picture yesterday of it, which was really interesting uh, that somebody put that was up on. It's on, you can see it on the web. If you Google, it's when I was playing with uh, spinal tap. I played a show with Spinal Tap at Radio City Music Hall, and uh, when that happened, I, um, it's the funniest thing. The hair was down to my butt, but that was my, <laughs> my whole thing. Long, long, short look, right? That was the whole idea.
0: Well, it was epic. I'll tell you that for sure. So, well, Scott, I know you're busy, and I appreciate you just taking the time that you've given me right now, and it's, it's awesome. It was definitely a moment, and I'm so glad that I lived it, and I will definitely savor it. So,
1: thank you very much for having me on your show anytime hit me up i'd love to do it again we can talk all kinds of stuff i got a lot of stuff to talk
0: about oh that'd be great i'd love to have <laughs> you back on when you have a little more time and you you know you're in a, in a better position there so but hey thank you so much for tonight i appreciate it
1: all right my friend everything good we did enough time there you're everything's
0: good? great yeah we did we did just perfect we're good we are perfectly fine okay. so
1: all right excellent
0: all right man thank I- you
1: very much and uh, i really appreciate being on your show and congratulations on being sober now that's cool yeah man and uh, it works for some people job, brother. <laughs> all right take care of yourself all right my friend all right bye bye talk to you later bye